Good morning, good noon, good afternoon, good day, America. Hello, world, and welcome to another episode of McLaughlin at Work. Delighted to have you with us. Without you, there wouldn't be an audience, but there are a lot of you, and uh, we are very appreciative that you share the values and the interest in the kinds of things that we have here on McLaughlin at Work, and always delighted to have new listeners come and join us. As you know, if you're listening to McLaughlin at Work for the first time, here on Web Talk Radio, you can access other archives by going back onto the main webtalkradio.net page. All of the shows are archived, and we're delighted to have you with us today. The, today's subject is something old, something new, something borrowed, and the cover is black and brown. The book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Last week when I was discussing uh, with my good friends over there at 1-800-CEO-READ, Jack Covert and Todd Satterston, the top 100 best business books of all time, they in their wisdom had not included Think and Grow Rich. I had brought it to their attention, and they knew of the book, but they are cut off for business books that they thought were the best of all time. Really uh, started about the cutoff was sometime around 1980, seems like yesterday to some of us. It is uh, ancient history to others. The book Think and Grow Rich preceded that, and that's part of the story, part of its charm. The discussion we're going to have is with, that I am going to have, Paul McLaughlin, your audio guide to the work workplace and bringing you things that otherwise you might not hear and or see. The discussion we're going to have is with Melvin Powers, who he also discovered Think and Grow Rich at an early age and took advantage of its wisdom and counsel and has for some time and found it very beneficial. And he was happy to share his thoughts about Think and Grow Rich. He actually had had the opportunity to meet or at least listen to Napoleon Hill uh, many or some years ago. Uh, the book was recommended to me because I had approached a wise old owl of the agency world on a new extension of McLaughlin at Work that I'm going to talk to you about at the end of the show. Some of you might be interested in it for your own purposes, and that's part of the point of bringing it to you. But George Wiedemann had asked me in terms of the new venture for McLaughlin at Work, what were sort of my three wishes given it at its current state of evolution? And uh, when I told him, I gave him my three wishes which, that he offered to me. I actually made it four because um, he was the genie who could offer me three, and I took four. And as a result of those three slash four wishes, he said, have you ever read Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich? And I had not. You'll hear that story develop in my discussion with Melvin Powers who I picked up the phone located in uh, out in on the West Coast and said, would you be willing to come in and substitute for Napoleon Hill and his discussion? And uh, it all sort of took place from there. Uh, interesting stuff, and I'm delighted that um, Melvin was able to, to join us. So here on McLaughlin at Work today, we've got a very interesting guest talking about an extraordinarily, uh, maybe a seminal work that, that will be, it's an important work, a baseline particularly for people in these days who are anxious about their future because they are concerned about their present, not sure how it's going to fit in. For those of us who are very active in the community and you, uh, the business community, and you would not be if you, didn't, uh, if you were not listening to 
uh, McLaughlin at work because all our follow followers are key adherents to basic and uh, evolving business principles. Uh, George Wiedemann had uh, referred me back, if you will, to Think and Grow Rich. It's not a get-rich-quick book, quite the opposite. It is a thoughtful rendition of a different time and different place to reflect how there are some objective truths, if you will, that some of those objective truths find better soil to grow, to become truths, uh, depending on the environment. And the environment in which Think and Grow Rich was written was not dissimilar to the environment that we find ourselves in today. For me, it was an important book, uh, important because I learned something for it, from it, important because it was refreshing that it had some legs to it, has a little bit of history to it, and uh, some of the pointers that were made have proven over time to be basic and objective and learnable, and people can use them to their own advantage. So join me as I enjoy talking to Melvin Powers, the book Think and Grow Rich. You're listening to Paul McLaughlin, episodes of McLaughlin at Work, your audio guide to the workplace. And I'm very proud of this particular one because if you adhere to, take advantage of, and maybe even pick up Think and Grow Rich, I think you'll benefit from it. Paul McLaughlin with Melvin Powers, coming right up. Paul McLaughlin, McLaughlin at Work, your audio guide to the workplace here in early 2009, and I am speaking with Melvin Powers. Melvin Powers is the publisher, the owner of Wilshire Book Company, and thanks to Melvin Powers, I was introduced to, and he did not know it at the time, to a book by a gentleman by the name of Napoleon Hill. I mentioned it in my uh, episode last week and said that we would be talking about Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. The book was brought to my attention, McLaughlin at Work, Paul McLaughlin here on webtalkradio.net, because I was looking for new directions in my own business and sought the guidance of somebody who had a serial entrepreneur who would give good guidance. And his good guidance to me, and that's George Wiedemann by name, his good guidance to me was, have you ever heard of Napoleon Hill? I said, no. He said, I think you should read some of Napoleon Hill. The book is Think and Grow Rich. I had never heard of the title. And so rather than betray my ignorance, I went down to my local Barnes and Nobles and lo and behold, there was Think and Grow Rich with a foreword by Melvin Powers, and I thought, well, maybe I'll get a chance to speak to Napoleon Hill. But uh, that isn't the way it works. Melvin Powers, thank you for joining me today, joining McLaughlin at work. And let's start off right away with what is your relationship to Napoleon Hill? I am the publisher of the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And over the many years that I've published the book, I've sold over 7 million copies of the book. And uh, my career as a book publisher got started because I read Think and Grow Rich when I was about 16 years old. I, was, I used to play a lot of chess at that time, and I read it. There was a classified ad in a magazine called... Uh, 
for the popular science and said, do you want to win a chess? Send away for free information, which I did. And I, I got a circular on chess books, and along with the chess books, there was a book advertised called Think and Grow Rich. So I sent away for that book, read now, it. Now, tell me this. Could you give that, without a specific date, could you tell me the circa of that inquiry? It was, I'd say it was about 1940, something, something like that. Okay. And uh, I, I sent away for the book, read it, and it said to me, whatever you believe you can do, think, of, think that you can do it and you'll be able to do it and hold that thought in your mind. So I said, if you believe you can do it, you can do it. And I said, my goodness. I said, I'd like to get into the book selling business because that was the first time that I had sent away for anything through the mail. And of course I read the chess book and I read this book and I said, I want to do the same thing and I did. And at the age of 16, I was selling how mainly how-to books through the mail and uh, I was doing just fine with it and had the family helping me run run that business from our kitchen table in Boston. And uh, years later, when I decided to come up to come out to California to start a book publishing company, I knew I could do it because I already had the formula. And it all started with reading of, of, the, of the book cycle, of the book Think and, Think and Grow Rich. At that time, I was selling mainly how-to books, how to win at the races, how to win at gin, how to win at poker, <laughs> helping yourself with better sight, and how to play better, better bridge, how to win at chess. So I started that business in California, and I knew the and I had the formula, so there was no doubt that I could do it, because you can go anywhere with the information, with an attitude, and it's worked out just fine. I was, uh, I read, it, rare for me, uh, Paul McLaughlin here, and I'm speaking with Melvin Powers. Uh, he, out on the West Coast, was kind enough uh, to respond to my inquiry because uh, clearly, listeners to McLaughlin at work, Napoleon Hill has left the earth that he talked about. Um, the book, to be specific, first came out, first printing which I didn't realize until I got myself a cup of coffee and sat down there in the Barnes and Nobles and opened it up. And to my astonishment, the book was written in my first came out 5,000 copies of March in March of 1937. And uh, Melvin Powers, you said that through your publishing company, you've sold uh, how many copies? Over 7 million copies over the years. It was on the bestseller list all over. It's, uh, and it's still it, selling extremely well. And, and by the way, Paul, the book sells all over the world. And it's translated into many languages. What is, um, I asked you before, and I think it's of moderate interest uh, perhaps to people who pick up a book where the author they find out is deceased. What are, you have the, if you will, the ability or the right to publish Think and Grow Rich. How does that work in terms of the author's, author's rights versus somebody like yourself as a publisher? Okay, this book was published before 1923. 
and if a book is published before 1923, you can, it becomes in public domain. So you can publish the book as long as the book, as long as no one has renewed the copyright during that time. And even if they have, there are so many years that you can you can do that, and then the book goes in what is known as public domain. So for the uh, for for the audience that's listening to this. Generally speaking, if a book is published before 1923, it becomes in public domain. So what? anybody can do it. Any anybody can do it, and Correct. and there are some other people who have taken the book. I saw, and oh, I sure. don't know whether it was yours or not. I saw an adaptation of the book to the 21st century. Right, there are many editions of the book, but but the key is to get it into the bookstores before everybody else does. Right. Because the bookstores can only use so many editions. <laughs> right, right. Well, but, but with all with all due respect, I I am more interested in and my audience in in uh, Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich than the book business. But I appreciate that. I appreciate that aside, and I certainly would encourage our listeners to pick up the one by Melvin Powers. In part, I'm going to two part question here, uh, Melvin. One is. Why do you think the book is as why was I so astounded by picking up the book for people who haven't known Napoleon Hill and then pick up the book I was I was just bowled over by its relevance so that's the first question and the second question um did you ever did you ever actually meet or listen to Napoleon Hill I did he was out here one time giving a lecture and I attended his lecture and met him after the lecture and talked to him, interviewed him, talked to him. And uh, he had a lot of charisma. And uh, the audience, and you could feel it in the audience. It was in an auditorium. And you could feel it in the audience. Uh, he, just, he just had it. And you could feel it. And you feel it in the author when he writes. You know he's, he's writing, his writing is for real, the... The information makes sense, and you just feel that if you follow his advice, things are going to happen. And it's some, it's, it's the book has has the message in it. People and people feel it. And what what is? Tell people what I felt. What is the message? What do you what do you get out of it when you pick it up? I, I literally. And I say this because it's so rare. I picked this book up and read it in one day, which, which is not recommended because it's a, a book that you have to think about and you have to do things, and that's an important element to it. But I was so drawn into it because of its accuracy and relevance to today. But for somebody who was there at the beginning of it and also had the same reaction at a time when the world was is in a similar place, it coming out of the depression as it was uh, written the first one in 1937. Um, first of all, Think and Grow Rich, how did the book come about? Well, it came about because the author interviewed a lot of famous individuals at that time, and they, he asked them, what is the secret of making money? How can you be, how can you be uh, successful? And he got answers from authorities. This book wasn't made up in thin air. He went around and interviewed the authorities, and and the and the information had a profound a a profound uh, 
effect upon people and it kept selling and selling and selling. So it's like seeing a movie and you like the message of the movie or you hear a singer or you listen to a song you, you can tell in 20 seconds if it's a hit or not a hit. So we just had it right from the beginning. The book was for real. And it says, set your goals, set the career that you want, believe that you can do it, and if you believe that you can do it, you are going to do it. But besides just believing you're going to do it, <laughs> you have to do <laughs> You had to you do had the to doing. Do something about it. <laughs> you had to do the doing. Correct. See, the motivation plus the doing equals uh, success. Um, and, and if I read it correctly, although it wasn't particularly clear, was he asked to do this by Andrew Carnegie, or did um, it, was he commissioned to do this? How had the book actually no, come he, about he in his relationship himself. to he Carnegie? He wanted to write a book about success, and he did it. And, and, and what role did Carnegie have in it? I'm not sure at this point. Okay. Okay. Um one of the, uh, the and I, I assume when you say uh, in your book is the original uh, original unabridged edition. Correct. Um, was the uh, the the size of the book? Yours is in a paperback. Was Correct. it? I assume that in the first edition it was a hard cover. They probably didn't have paperbacks. It was at that a time. hard cover. Yeah, and and I'll quote from um, I'll quote from page three hundred and eleven in your book. It's a single uh, page, and I assume that that's uh, a faithful representation of the way he put it. And I quote, the, quote, depression, end quote, was a blessing in disguise. It reduced the whole world to a new starting point that gives everyone a new opportunity. When you first saw that, and, you were, and yours was after the depression, what was your reaction to that? Did that was that a particular... Um, observation that rang true when you first read it? I wouldn't, I wouldn't really say so. I, I don't think when things are tough that it's, it's an opportunity. We ha- Paul, we have that opportunity every single day. Every single day you, there is a magic of getting what you want in life by, by number one, uh, believing that you can do it. That's one. And then number two, do something about it and don't cry the blues about it. Are you a good worker? Are you motivated to do something? Do you want to spend your time saying, oh, the bank, the banks are closing up, the stock market is down 50% or more? Uh, what is your motivation? And if you, if you keep that positive attitude, I'm not saying to do that in a vacuum, but, but you have to do something about it. Do you need, do you need the education, the schooling? You can go, there are evening courses to take, you can go to college, you can get college courses, there are books about every subject in the world, you can go to college libraries, you can go to public public libraries, so all the information is there, it's on the internet, it's all over, and if you, if you do something, there's the magic of doing something, and of thinking big, and thinking like a winner. In fact, I have a book. I have a whole series of books about thinking. And if you think like a winner, you will be a winner. If you say to yourself, "Well, things are terrible now. Things aren't going to go. And things aren't going to get any better," then you are licked. But if you say to yourself, "Okay, this is an opportunity for me to do something. Maybe change my job. Change what I want to do in life. 
and you take that seriously and you try to contact people in that business or get the trade publications in a particular field and go to a go to a seminar, go to a trade show, it will teach you how to how to succeed in life. And if if you take that that positive thinking attitude that something is going to happen to you because it's going to get into your subconscious mind and it's this whole business about thinking there's the magic of your mind and in your mind once you start thinking in a certain direction it's going to work for you and that's what we all need same thing about the economy now if you get well we're all caught up the, that the economy is bad but if you say to yourself okay the economy is bad what can i do now and you sit down and think about it, things are going to happen to you. And you have the Internet, by the way, for all kinds of wonderful information, free information, and it's all there, it's all there for you. <laughs> right. And you say to yourself, well, if you're into the stock market, they say, well, this is a great time to buy, to buy stocks. <laughs> <laughs> you say that with a chuckle. Well, the, the stock market, this is the worst month that the stock market has had in I, I don't know how many years. But. I, saw, I saw that in the paper. I, I think the, you, you make an interesting point, though, and, and I'm, I'm drawing on as much your wisdom as your smarts, and that is the Internet is not a, a information, raw information is not a replacement for thinking, nor is it a replacement for action, which comes as a result of thinking under Napoleon Hill's thought process. Now, there have been a lot of self-improvement books, but I think what gave to me, and I'm introducing my reading of this book, because I'm encouraging any, anybody, I'm encouraging everybody to pick up this book. I think it is as literally as fresh today as it was when it first printed, mm-hmm. and I would offer Notwithstanding that there are other uh, self-help books, improvement books, ones that say, you know, now's a good time, or as you appropriately put it, you know, it's always a good time for innovation and thinking. The fact of the matter is that there is so much in this book that says everything old is is new again, that there is a new time, uh, and yet it's not... Things are so similar it, that it is striking. And, and I just want to point out, I read that one piece. He has some observations of America, and particularly America, um, coming out of this period. And, and in the, the style in which he writes, and, and I will quote again, he says, and the he is Napoleon Hill. The gentleman I'm speaking to is Melvin Powers. You're listening to Paul McLaughlin, McLaughlin at Work. And in this case, your audio guide to the workplace, and the audio guide is through a book, Think and Grow Rich. Mr. Napoleon Hill said in this book, under the headline of Some Fertile Fields in Which New Leadership Will Be Required, and he listed in 1937, six of those. And I'm just going to pick off the first line of each and ask um, Melvin Powers to comment, in fact, about the how this makes the book more credible, if you will, even, even more so now than it ever was. And those six are, first, he said, Napoleon Hill, in the field of politics, there is a most insistent demand for new leaders. And he goes on, but I won't. Second, 
the banking business is undergoing a reform, the leaders in this field have almost entirely lost the confidence of the public. Already the bankers have sensed the need of reform and they have begun it. I'm not sure that they have begun it as much as the world demands it. Number three, industry calls for new leaders. The old type of leaders thought and moved in terms of dividends instead of thinking and moving in terms of human equations. Number four, the religious leader of the, f of the future will be forced to give more attention to the temporal needs of his followers. Number five, in the professions of law, medicine, and education, a new brand of leadership and to some extent new leaders will become a necessity. And lastly, six, new leaders will be, will be required in the field of jur journalism. This was published in 1937, and yet that could be lifted out and put in there today, and I would offer that that makes the book even more credible. What would you say? I'd say absolutely, positively, he's right on, and that's what's happening now. Obama is leading, is giving the whole world inspiration and hope that things can get better, even though they're in the dump now, right now, but things can get better, and he talks about the banks. No one has a confidence in the banks and the stock market people. We don't even know what happened to all that money that went to the banks. They're, they're spending $1 million to $200,000 to renovate uh, someone's office. And th what he said then is applying absolutely right, right now. And we have to say, well, what can America do to, to bring us back to where we, to where we were? And it's the, it's the fault of the banks, all the, the housing business going down the drain now. How can you loan money to someone that, can't, that doesn't have a job and can't pay a mortgage? I mean, you know things are going to belly up. And everyone is guilty of that and taking, taking a million-dollar bonus. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the mean, public looks askance. The, the, the whole thing is ridiculous. And, and what we're doing right now is, is getting hope, and Obama's doing things that's, that's correct to the whole world. He's taken a whole new attitude about uh, our, our relationships with the world. So we all have to work hand in hand and saying, well, what's in the past? That happened. Now there's time to... To, to change things, and what you read, and what you just now read, is, is happening, is happening right now. So, so there is hope, and we can turn it around, and we are creative. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of well, now what can we do? And I don't know how you feel about bailouts of all these industries. I, I, I don't know if I'm in favor of it or not. Well, I, I, it's an interesting question. I'm going to turn that a little bit because I am, uh, we're, we're a, a, the nature of the Internet and, and shows like McLaughlin at work have a, clearly have a global audience. But let, restricting this to the, uh, the contiguous 48, you being on the West Coast and me in the middle and a lot of listeners in between, uh, and you from Boston, do you have a sense that, that uh, the West Coast um, and and, and in, in, interestingly, this Think and Grow Rich 
uh, preceded the, if you will, the dawn of California in many respects. Is there a different mindset on the West Coast towards the economy and its drivers and the importance of various elements to it? Do you think, in your experience, and you're a wise young man, uh, is there a difference in America between how the West Coast thinks about things and the East Coast thinks about things? I think that there might might be. I haven't thought about that, but uh, people in California and Los Angeles are always gung-ho <laughs> <laughs> with, with the showbiz, with the showbiz attitude a lot. Right. There, there, there's an attitude, there's that can-do attitude, there's, yes, we can, we can do it, and there are a lot of, a lot of there are lots of motivational speakers out here, well, around, around the country as well, but there is that attitude, that there, that there is that I can do attitude out here, and people come to California for a new start, and it's the land of sunshine, and uh, you feel, well, I'll go to California, live in the good climate, and start a, start a business, or we can't do it. And I think that for the most part, there is this attitude of people being able to start a new business out here, or an attitude they can do things. So I think there may be a little, that because of the weather that we have here, that we're not frozen as you are back east. <laughs> Much of the, well, part of the winter, of course. Right. But there is that positive thinking that goes on out here. Not with everybody, but if you're in a certain... And there are a lot of wealthy people out here. There are a lot of people who are not affected by this turn down. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, that, that is interesting. The wealth distribution around the country and how people made it and how they think about it is, uh, is, is, uh, is very different. Can you... Uh, have you seen in recent months um, or in, in the recent year has has this book in in your uh, in your Melvin Powers uh, 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 printing have you increased sales? Well, our sales are always good for the book, so I can't tell you that the sales have been any better. We put, see the the main part of the sales of my book of, of my of my company. Are in the, are these, these are the type of books that I am known for. Right. And they're in the positive thinking book. We have, we have a book called that sells extremely well. It's called Think Like a Winner. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that a good title? That's <laughs> a very good title because it, it tells you you got to think. There's a lot of thinking in your books. Right. There's, there's by Dr. Walter Stable. We, we have a book called The Magic of Thinking, thinking uh, uh, Success by Dr. David Schwartz, and uh, he's the author of a book called The Magic of Thinking Big, and, uh, and a book called uh, How to Get What You Want in Life, and I have books such titles as Go Rich With Your Million Dollar Mind, Grow Rich While You Sleep, How to Succeed, I Will. So I am noted for these books, and these books always sell well. I, I could drop all the other books that I have in my line and I could make a livelihood just with these books. <laughs> now tell me, all, virtually all the books that you have are in the public domain? Oh no, no. <laughs> no, that book is. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> um, tell me, what when you heard Napoleon Hill speak, and I'm interested, um, was there a salesman element to him or was he a 
uh, more like uh, the Reverend Billy Graham, or was he like Barack Obama? Would you say that he was? Was it the weight? Uh, was he a good communicator, or was it he the soundness of he his was thinking? Very good. He is like a Barack Obama or a Bill Clinton. He comes in and you already feel something for him. He really just has to say a few words and you're ready with him. It's just like an entertainer. How I talk about 20 seconds. I used to. I was in the music business, but used to publish music and write music. But you, but you knew a song made it in about 20 seconds. Isn't that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the same thing about a speaker. When a speaker gets to the uh, gets on the platform. He says a few words, and boy, you you're ready with him. Same as an entertainer. There's some sort of charisma that they that they have, and you feel it immediately. It's like a JFK. Right. Well, and I think they say the same thing about uh, people who, if you, um, if you, you, you can tell at the, at the end of a handshake, you've already formed an opinion about somebody, and that's within 15 seconds. Correct. And, and, and you're hard, it's hard to move you off that initial impression. Correct. What, what was, uh, what, to the extent that you remember, uh, what was uh, Napoleon Hill like uh, physically? He was, he was a, he was of ordinary weight, and uh, he wasn't meaning he wasn't heavy. He looked okay. Did, did would you say that he had a commanding presence? Well, I wouldn't say that so much, but he had that uh, charisma. Yeah. And it didn't matter what he looked like. He could have been thin. He could have been fat. He could have been anything. We've been talking from a wheelchair, right? And uh, he just—he just had it. And his comments—he uh, also has uh, throughout some of them quite personal, but he also is a storyteller. Um, and you—and he—he does. These are not, as you pointed out in the beginning, his—he models his um, his. The people. So he's actually taking real examples of the people who have done well. Um, you know, Henry Ford and um, George Parker and George Eastman, Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, all of these people have achieved something, and so he was working off some very real models. Correct. When in speaking to him, and, and it, 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 there's obviously one part in the book that is about sexual prowess, and this was a time when. There was only one gender in the business world. But uh, tell me, do you think that his, his uh, the think and grow rich, mo- the, the money impact, growing rich was in and of itself a good, although it seems to be softened in his presentation. So while he doesn't bring in necessarily a faith-based richness, it's it's not exactly a totally mercenary. It's more in the lines of success, and if you're successful, you'll grow rich. Is that a correct interpretation? Correct. correct. I think rich in spirit as well as that book was talking about making money, but there's a richness in the spirit. You can't be in getting rich. It isn't how much money you have in the bank. What are you doing on the pathway of life? See, are you, are you helping other people? Are you 
are you are you trying to lift someone someone else up from the from a, a position of not having a job uh, giving them the the inspiration and motivation in other words how do you feel at the end of the day about yourself um, and that's and that's the thing it isn't it isn't necessary it isn't how much money you make I want to tell you something it's, it's the same thing that he got from from the books when I get letters of people that have read some of the books I have published and they tell me that it's changed their life I feel great about that it's uh, it's just a wonderful feeling and I'm getting email from people who read my books 20 and 30, 30 years ago right that I have published and they tell me how it's changed their life people come to my office they tell me Mr. Powers, I want to tell you what, what your books have done for me. And that's, that's the joy, that's the joie de vie of living. It's, it's the joy, and it's the joy that I have had every single day and still have it. It's, 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 there's a good feeling of what I am doing in the literature that I put out, and it goes all over the world, and my books get translated into various languages. And that's, and that's, that's the joy, the joy at least for me in my thinking it isn't just to make money because that's empty it's the joy of just making a lot of money and that thing is empty for me but there is that joy of helping the next person come along that, that needs a helping hand and doing it and helping them and that's 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 the joy well i i am very grateful for you to have published this book there, there is a certain um, sort of hand of God in, in all of these kinds of decisions or, or uh, steps that we take, particularly in these, I'll call them challenging times, there's always opportunities. But I, I uh, to repeat, but I would, for people who have, never, who have never thought of an inspirational book but want to go somewhere to find a non-intrusive um, connection to somebody who lived through the depression and then could draw stories from the depression and have a a relevance today I almost I, I know it's a little shallow but it's a little bit like re, it's like reading the Bible you sort of have to have a predisposition to wanting believe and then as you said within the first 20 seconds of hearing a song, or in this case, within the first few pages of Think and Grow Rich, you're drawn into the story and, and I should point out, the action items that are required. It's not just thinking. It's thinking, doing, and growing rich is almost a, uh, it's a bad term, but the first derivative of thinking and doing. Correct, and it's growing rich in spirit. Very well put. Paul, oh, it's not only to read one book. I'm not <laughs> pushing the sale of books, but, I, uh, but I'm saying fill your, mind, fill, fill your mind with this type of literature which you can get at the library. With all the positive thinking books, they're all good. See, but... but but one book is going to lead to the next book. And fill your mind with this. And when you do that, things are going to happen to you instead of crying the blues all day, which, which we can't do. And I'm not, I'm not uh, saying that people shouldn't be 
crying the blues, but okay, now what can I do with my situation? What can I do now? And uh, when you do that, you say to yourself, well, what is that to do with my situation right now? Maybe this is an opportunity to do something else in life that I want to do. Yeah. And if you and if you take that attitude, and, I, and I've been around the positive thinking field all my all my life and all the authors, and when you when you say this is an opportunity for me to to do something that I maybe really want to do, now's the time to do it. And will you be able to do that particular thing and make some money out of it? Of course. But as, I, as I'm saying, there's a feeling of feeling good about about yourself and helping other people and help yourself. And if if you read, besides thinking grow rich, it, it, it's, as I said before, it's it's rich in spirit. It's not only making money because we know talking about Hollywood, we know lots of people who made a ton of money and and they're not happy. <laughs> exactly right. So well, that, that happens all the time. It doesn't mean that if you make a lot of money, you're going to be happy. There's more to life than money. That that says it's doing a, a thoughtful deed, a kind word, caring for somebody, and uh, and nothing makes nothing nothing makes you feel good. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting, and I'm speaking with uh, Melvin Powers. This is Paul McLaughlin, McLaughlin at Work, your audio guide to the workplace. In this case, looking at the workplace through a book by Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, first came out in 1935 and then uh, as has been reissued in a number of different forms, and Melvin Powers, uh, 1937, excuse me. Um, interesting that in just looking at the printings, from the first page here, uh, March 37, 5,000 copies. In May of 37, 10,000 copies. <laughs> and in August of 37, 20,000 copies. And then in February of uh, 38, less than a year from its original printing, another 20,000 copies. Uh, that is very impressive. Uh, what do you think... And, I, and I'm asking you relevant to relative to the new business books of which we learned in speaking to our friends uh, Jack Covert and Todd Stettinson about uh, uh, who are at one CEO read one eight hundred CEO read about business books and there are eleven thousand business books that are written <laughs> I think in two thousand seven probably an average of over ten thousand a year and yet in some measure this one seems more relevant. Some recent business books that are for sale now seem to be scarred a little bit because some of the leaders that they projected as real leaders have proven to be less so for a variety of reasons, their own, their own doing or not. But in your experience, do you think that more recent business books will take a hit because of what has happened to the economy and the companies that they wrote about? Yeah, I don't. I don't think the books are going to do too well. You know the name Donnie Deutsch? Yes. I watch his show when he was on the air. I watch his show every night. Okay. He, it's it, he's for real, and then what he's talking about is for real. And, and what does he say relative well, to that point? Well, he says you got to have an attitude besides the product. He says, "Well, how did you how did you get this idea? 
and it's usually the person was at home, they were out of work, they weren't doing anything, whether it was a woman or a man, and they had this idea and they went forth and they borrowed some money and they finally made a big hit out of out of something and he, he interviews lots of people that have made tons of money. And 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 if you when you watch the show there's a certain attitude of all these people that there is a can-do attitude. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that's an interesting point because one of the, the first things that uh, Napoleon Hill points out is that virtually all what became and now appear to have been very large, most of these concepts started out as a single, relatively simple idea that was then followed with great persistence. Correct. It and you have to be upbeat about it and not listen to people who say, well, you, you can't be done. Right. And uh, talking to uh, some people even in recent days, and I don't know whether it's true as much on the, on the West Coast, but, and I'm not, not drawing an invidious comparison between where you are, even though you sound still like you're from Boston. You pick up the papers every day, and if you follow what the papers say, you would just climb back into bed and stay there until this thing blows over. Correct. That ain't no way to get ahead. I'll tell you what I do at home. We, we, my wife and I usually go to bed about 10 o'clock, and I'll say to her, Masha, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to watch the news anymore. It's depressing. <laughs> I said, let's turn on Jerry Seinfeld. He, there, there are two half-hour shows and then a station out here. Right. And it goes from one, one show goes from 10 to 10, 30, <laughs> and it goes from 10 to 11. I said, I want to go to bed laughing. <laughs> and that's what we do five nights a week. I, uh, I'm assigned, I, I think a lot of people do exactly the same thing here in New York. Uh, in New York City, it's found on the station that runs uh, against the 11 o'clock news. And my guess is that he's got some all star ratings compared to listening to the news. Well, that's why you want to hear the, the late-night entertainers. <laughs> you want to get away from the news. So, uh, anyways, the news is very depressing. It can make you depressed. It's for real, and you got to think about it. And uh, all businesses are suffering because of it. And you have to say to yourself, if you're in a business that is slow, that is slow down a bit, okay, what can I do now to take... Not to take advantage of the situation, but what what creative thinking can I do in order to bring back the business where it was? Or what can I do to help my entire community? Or what can I do to help the nation? Barack Obama is asking for, for that advice from the people. Right. I wouldn't rely so much on the bankers or the stockbrokers. I mean, I'm talking about stockbrokers, I know lots of people lost a lot of money in the stock market, and they go back to the stockbroker, and they tell them, well, wait 10 years, it's going to come back. Yep. <laughs> well, just, you know. just sit around and wait for 10 minutes. Um, for the people who, who would like to know either more about Melvin Powers, and you've got an extraordinary background, or to access your books, how do, how do, uh, how do people find out more about your publications? Just go on the... Uh, it's been absolutely a delight speaking with you. It's even more important to me that through you, I was introduced to Napoleon Hill, Paul McLaughlin here, McLaughlin at work, encouraging all who are listening 
that if you've got, I don't know how much, I forget how much I paid for this, uh, for this book, but it's uh, in um, the version that has, uh, has the advantage in, in Mr. Powers' version. You get a forward from Melvin Powers and the, the fact that he saw Napoleon Hill first picked up the book when he was uh, 16 and it made a difference to him. Uh, I'm not 16 and I picked up the book in 2009 and it has made a, I would say, go so far as to say a profound difference to me and I would strongly encourage anybody, A, to get a hold of Think and Grow Rich for the sake of Mr. Powers. I hope you buy his edition and also to to not dismiss out of hand, not that necessarily you would, but these uh, self-improvement or business books that encourage you to really think positively about the opportunities that are available today because the way this pendulum swings, in relatively short order, we're going to be looking at the people who profited from thinking and taking action in these days and didn't just crawl under a rock. Your reaction, Mr. Powers? Well, it's all true, and I, I think that people have to challenge themselves to do something. If you read my forward, and then I've, I've been in, in lots of businesses. I've, I've been an Arabian horse breeder. I was in that business for 12 years, raised the champion Arabian horses. I was in the music business, wrote some songs with Tommy Boyce, a Boyce and Hart got on the got on the uh, got on the charge of in the infomercial business did that very well with that but what the re- one of the main reasons that I did it it was these businesses it's a challenge to me now I didn't go into these things for the money it was a challenge in other words could I write a hit song and get on the charts could I produce <laughs> an album of music and sell it yes and that's that's the reward of it really it, it isn't the it isn't the money I was having fun doing it and it was a challenge to do it and the reward for me was yes it was a challenge I did it and I was able to get into all these various businesses and make money out of it and have fun at the same time so I'm not saying every job you you're at is it's a fun job but make it a fun make it a fun job make it a challenging job so at the end of the day you're feeling good about yourself so Give yourself the challenge, I'm going to be successful, I'm going to try to get into this business or that business, and I'm going to do well on it. And look at it as a challenge in life, and the reward is feeling good about yourself. Melvin Powers, thank you very much for uh, joining me. Paul McLaughlin okay, here on McLaughlin Network. And um, good luck with uh, the Wilshire Book Company. I know good luck is, uh, is not maybe not fashionable. It's not luck. You've been around it for a long time. Good luck in this one and for your next endeavor, whatever that may be. And I appreciate very much your coming on and speaking in, uh, in place of Napoleon Hill. May, his, uh, may he rest in peace. Yes, thank you, Paul. Good day, Melvin. Good day. And that be Melvin Powers. Melvin, he of the Wilshire Book Company and the publisher of Think and Grow Rich, now that it is free of copyright. Paul McLaughlin, McLaughlin at work. What'd you think? Obviously, Melvin is into selling the book. I'm into bringing it to your attention. I guess we're both working in the same direction. But let me tell you what McLaughlin at work can do for you. And that's uh, 
It's an important element here because there, I know that there are people who are listening to McLaughlin at work are intrigued by some of the people we have on board, but more important are thinking about the ways in which you can improve your business and if not your business if you don't own it, but basically do a better job at what you do. One of the things that we can uh, offer through McLaughlin at Work is the opportunity for you to communicate better with, if you're in the position to have them, with your employees. If you are a large employer, one of the things that you should consider is your voice on your website conveying either under the employee portal or in your landing page, your home page, if you will, a welcome in your own voice. And uh, while that is a daunting task, there are not many who do it and who do it well. In fact, there are very few, and, very, and there are very few services that offer this as an opportunity, a one-stop shop, if you will, and that's what McLaughlin at Work could offer to you, and that is to conduct an, uh, an interview, much like we did with Melvin Powers, but it could be with anybody in a targeted, messaged way and allow you to then place that uh, message on a regular basis to your employees and to your customers if it's out on the uh, homepage, landing page. But let's stick with the uh, employee messaging. Everybody has an intranet usually in which they speak to employees. And today, more than ever, communication is an important part of messaging. Not only sort of what you say, and we have learned a lot of that from the recent ascendancy of President Obama, but it's how you say it, and it's the intonation, it's the personality, it is the you-ness, it is the culture of the company that comes through and is projected by senior management. And that is what we are able to do through uh, this happy medium of offering your voice, your message on your website. Why don't you be in touch with me? See if we can develop for you a messaging vehicle that you can pursue on to your own ends a message that is unique to you, as all messages from you will be unique, in your own voice and not cluttered by the visual elements of audiovisual or streaming or talking at you, but more as a, an opt-in. That means that the employees, or if you put something on the homepage as a welcome, it won't come at you automatically. People will select, will opt-in, if you will. It's clear that they will select what they would like to uh, that they would like to hear more about what you are saying, and we would encourage that through this kind of vehicle, which is basically, I have a conversation with you, uh, best in person because that makes the quality of the sound uh, important. So if you're within the sound of my voice and you're local to the East Coast, we can make the, those arrangements. Otherwise, we can do it by phone, and then have that edited to a reasonable length of time. And you can, on a regular basis, I would suggest monthly, you can update that, make it available to your employees and talk about the subject of the day. One of the great benefits of it is to avoid 
the what we call crisis management, and a lot of managers in crisis management modality right now, because they have not paved the way for a routine, regular method of communication, particularly by voice. There's no other as compelling sound as the sound of the boss's voice. Uh, so when you do hit a point, a rocky patch, where you want to communicate with your employees or with your customers, what better than to have it as part of a regularly scheduled, although you could interject it at the time of crisis, regularly scheduled platform that people would know where they could go to listen to you on the subject of the crisis. So it's, it's both a protection, if you will, it's an insurance policy, and between times when you absolutely have to need it, you're giving out good information for the people who are keen on, hint, uh, on listening to it uh, best. Ra far better than seeing yourself on YouTube or Facebook or the other outside uh, portals that can grab you and yours in good moments and in bad. This is a contained message, your voice, your intonation, your subject matter in a way that is presented appropriately, professionally, and led by me, Paul McLaughlin, uh, working for you on your behalf to make your point as compelling and as honest and fair as you would like to be able to do it yourself. And it's in union of having a credible partner, a credible interviewer, uh, to bring out the best, bring out the real message that we offer all here through McLaughlin at Work. And be in touch with me via, best place is probably email, uh, paul at the McLaughlinCompany.com. That's P-A-U-L at sign, T-H-E-M-C-L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y. And um, we will be in touch right from there. Get right back to you, myself or my staff, and we'll see how we can best put McLaughlin at work to work for you. So a little bit of um, Think and Grow Rich, a little bit of the McLaughlin Company. You think about it, think with me, make the world a better place from a business perspective. Next week, we have uh, a discussion of strength-based leadership with our friends over there at, the, at Gallup Press, Tom Rath and... Barry Conchi are the authors, uh, authors of the book. We've had Tom on before with his Strength Finders. Uh, interesting concept the folks at Gallup uh, always have, strength-based leadership, a mainstay of their professional ethos. And Barry Conchi will be sharing that with us uh, next week here on McLaughlin at Work, your audio guide to the workplace, the work walk. Happy to have you with us. Looking forward to next time. Stay the course. Do the best you can. If you do that each and every day, we will reach the finish line just in time. Later, next week.